You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary-trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening and enjoy this week's episode. We are, as Aaron said, uh, entering into uh, a time that celebrates the Easter season. And when I say the Easter season, I really mean the entire uh, Easter story, not just uh, Sunday morning, the resurrection, but the whole story that leads us up to the resurrection and beyond. Um, uh, I've, I've gone to churches even in the last number of years, and I was you know, Catholic as a kid, so I'm familiar with the 40-day thing. We, didn't, we could have begun a couple uh, weeks ago, I suppose. Uh, it's a tradition. It's not uh, something that's mandated in Scripture, but it's a very healthy and uh, uh, important tradition. I think that's that's good, and I think Aaron explained it very well. Uh, <clears throat> so this morning, uh, I want to uh, do as I often do when I begin a series, uh, is to prepare our hearts uh, for the Easter season. Uh, I I always feel like I need to do that. Uh, we have this weird thing, and I know there's a mix of uh, not only uh, traditions, denominations in the room, but I would hope there are people sitting in the room that maybe aren't Christian, that are maybe not too long Christians. Uh, so we have a variety. But I would say perhaps the majority of us have, have been Christian for many years. And there's a pro and the con to that. The, the pro is that we become more mature in Christ. The con is that, uh, for me anyway, that we can take certain things for granted, and the Easter season for me becomes a little bit like that, that um, you can go to churches where you will hear uh, variations of the Easter message, the cross, the resurrection, uh, every Sunday or many times throughout the year. But even if we only hear about it for uh, several weeks in the spring, uh, it's easy over the years to kind of get settled with the idea of the Easter story, uh, such that we don't certainly appreciate it for what it is, uh, but also live it out. Uh, if you have been with me uh, since we arrived last uh, August, you know that I'm very much of a person that wants to um, remind myself of why the Bible story matters to me, uh, do a check on myself of whether I'm really living this stuff out that I've been uh, saying that I believe for so many years. And so we were doing that with the idea of personal relationship. Am I, am I really living out personal relationship with God the way I say I should? Um, so I feel like I want to do that with the Easter story, too. And that's why, uh, in, in part, you see the title this morning is The Stories Are True. The Stories Are True. This is an illustration of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, and he is appearing in a, a type of trial before King Agrippa. Oh, we lost it. Before King Agrippa. And the story in the book of Acts, if you haven't read it or read it recently, uh, this is Acts 26. 
Paul, uh, after completing his missionary journeys, uh, went to Jerusalem, and he uh, got into a bit of a controversy with the Jews there and was thrown into prison, and there were conspiracies to kill Paul by the Jews there. And so he started kind of appealing and working through the Roman system. The Rome occupied Israel and, and Jerusalem at the time. And, and uh, Paul himself was born in Tarsus, which was north of all this, and he was a Roman citizen. So he was a very strong Jew, uh, but he was also a Roman citizen. So when he was put into prison, he, he availed himself of the Roman legal system. Uh, and eventually he was transferred north of Jerusalem to Caesarea and spent about two years in prison there. And then there was a change of governors. Uh, he was under Felix for a while, and then a guy named Festus shows up, up in Caesarea. And so Festus uh, is talking to him, and he says, hey, do you want to be tried uh, in Jer- back in Jerusalem? Because this is, your accusers are from there, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, and et cetera. And he said, no, I really don't, and, and for different reasons. Uh, one was that he uh, didn't want to be killed. <laughs> there was a conspiracy down there to, as he was traveling or whatever to try to murder him. Um, but also there, was, there were some other reasons. Uh, if you look a few chapters back, when he was still in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus appeared to him. He appeared to him a number of times. And he uh, said, you know what, I, want, I don't want you just to testify about me in places like Jerusalem. I want you to testify about me in Rome. And, and, and this is sort of maybe my interpretation, but the, the collective uh, direction of Paul's ministry, uh, based on what we'll see uh, uh, in God's call to the people, Jesus' call to the disciples uh, before he went to heaven, was that the, the gospel would start in Jerusalem and go out throughout the other uh, ends of the earth. And Rome was sort of the foundation for that happening. And so when Jesus said, you're going to go to Rome, again, this is me kind of putting the pieces together. I think Paul had that in mind when he was put into prison. And so when Festus said, hey, do you want to go back to Jerusalem to be tried? He said, you know what? No, uh, I want to appeal before Caesar. I want to appeal my case before Caesar, meaning the emperor in Rome. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, had a right to do that. So Festus is this guy. He's a new governor up in Caesarea, and he he has this this man in prison, and and he's about to send him to Rome, and he doesn't want to do that without a reason to do it because he really didn't understand why he was in prison in the first place. For him, it felt like religious reasons that he didn't understand. Uh, So uh, King Agrippa shows up, and he's visiting uh, Festus, and he talks to uh, Agrippa about Paul, and he says, look, you're, you have some background in this. Can you help me? Because I want to I uh, write a letter to Caesar about Paul's case, but I really want to give reasons why I'm sending him. And Agrippa was what you would call a Herod. <laughs> he was one of, of the kings in the line of Herod. You saw Herod the Great uh, back in the beginning of Jesus' story. Uh, Agrippa's father was a Herod who uh, died a very horrible death (laughs) earlier in the book of Acts because he blasphemed God. Um, But the Herods, these these were kings that had a Jewish background. They understood many things about Jewish history, Jewish law, but they weren't really Jewish exactly. They were very pagan in many ways. So they they made perfect vassal kings in the Roman Empire, meaning uh, this guy Agrippa had a little portion that he was in charge of in the Roman Empire. And the reason the Romans wanted that is because he had some Jewish ties to him. 
And so that made it very helpful, but he was also loyal to Rome. So Paul, when he's appearing before Festus and Agrippa, he uses this in, in kind of different ways. He makes an appeal to Agrippa that is based on Agrippa's understanding of the Jewish story, of Jewish history, of the Jewish law. He says in Acts 26, six through eight, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. So he's, he's talking about something that goes deep into Jewish history before Agrippa. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So he's connecting the Jewish story with the resurrection. How could he do that? Well, the origins, origins of the Jewish story begin with Abraham, the promise, the hope that was given to Abraham. It was that there would be a coming kingdom, that there would be a coming deliverer and savior for the Jewish people. And the culmination of that hope, the culmination of those promises were tied up into the resurrection of the dead. Meaning, people that were strict about looking to the, the whole canon of scripture in the Old Testament, meaning not just the first five books, but the prophets, they, they understood that the kingdom would be seen through deliverance and through resurrection. So Paul was saying, I'm being tried by Jews who should be supporting me. Because all I'm saying is this stuff has come to pass. He goes on, and he starts to kind of deliver to uh, Agrippa his story. He starts telling his story. He tells this, his own story. I'm sorry, our PowerPoint's not working. He tells his own story. He tells the Jewish story, and he tells the story of Jesus. So if you're familiar with Acts 9, here, here we are at the part where Jesus appears to him. So Paul was this Pharisee. He was a strong Jew. He was on his way to Damascus. There's this big light show. Jesus appears to him and he says, I have appeared to appoint you as a servant and witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. And then Paul says to Agrippa, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So again, he's rooting himself in the Jewish story. That the Christ, the Messiah, this promised deliverer, that the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, he is rooting himself in the veracity of Jewish history. He's pointing to the Moses. He's pointing to the prophets. He's saying that if you're looking at this stuff which you say you believe in, you would trust that what I'm telling you now is truth. That the promised Messiah had to suffer. The promised Messiah had to rise so that he could proclaim light to both our people and the Gentiles. And so Agrippa responds. He says to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? Now some Bible versions will actually take the... Take the uh, uh, question mark off the end of that. And, and meaning Paul Agrippa saying, man, this is a pretty good argument. In a short time, I might be become, become a Christian. So there's no real way to know that. But, but it, it is interesting that he's responding so strongly to Paul. 
Paul said, whether short or long, I would, that, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me, there was a big crowd there, all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So Paul tells him this story, the story of the Jews, the story of Jesus, the story of Paul's engagement in the story. And that story was very powerful, such that this guy who was essentially a pagan was very compelled by his argument. There is power to storytelling. From our earliest years, and I've talked about this in the past, stories engage us. They involve us. They're exciting. We become part of the story. We read the stories to ourselves, and we become immersed within the story. They change us. They affect us. We read stories to get away from real life sometimes, but we also read stories to live a better life. There is a power to storytelling. Unlike basic instruction, like if we read an instruction manual, which some people think the Bible is, unlike basic instruction, stories can reach us at a heart level, meaning they appeal to our minds like an instruction manual would, but because they're telling the story of something happening to somebody else, they can reach us at a heart level because they engage our emotions, they take us to the place where we can identify with the characters. So it's, it's engaging us at a, at a deeper level than, than just simple instruction can. But only true stories, only true stories can have the fullest effect upon the real world reality of today. So all the books and all the stories that we read, how is the Bible different? The Bible begins like many stories in the beginning, in Genesis. Begins similarly in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. The Bible is a story in many ways. And I would say perhaps more than uh, anything else, the Bible is a story. The Bible uses creative means to introduce us to God and to ask us to live with God. Why is that? Some 80% of scripture is creative. It's either storytelling or it's poetry or it's music. It's not so much instruction. Part of that reason is because it engages us at a heart level. It's not just in telling us how to live life. It's immersing ourselves within the story of God and God's people so that we can be reached at a heart level. But as I said, it's important to know that, that true stories have more powerful uh, an effect on us than, than fictional stories. And so part of the problem that I think you and I face, even if we've been Christian for a long time, is that we have been raised with story. So not just the Bible, movies, novels, books, you know, I read, read stuff as a kid. I read Narnia. I read Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, and I was immersed within those stories. I enjoyed those stories. They followed me into adulthood. They did affect my heart. They affected my character in many ways. They affected the way I saw the world. But we, deal, we live our lives so much with fictional story. I think even as Christians, we can look at the Easter story and maybe subconsciously put it in that category. Meaning... And you can see this in a lot of, of, of colleges and, and different ways that you can be educated about Christianity, that the Bible is only true as a moral story. Meaning all it really, 
all that really matters in reading the Bible is the moral lessons that we get from it. And, and then they're not so much concerned with the fact that anything that really happened in the Bible, right, whether it was really true historically, Adam and Eve, Moses, Jesus, the Gospels. It doesn't really matter that it happened. What matters is that you enter into the story, like reading Tolkien or somebody else, and what can you take away from it emotionally in the heart. But there's a problem if we, if we uh, transfer that into the biblical story. Only true stories have that impact. This is uh, a bunch of... Uh, uh, records or albums by a guy named Andrew Peterson, a Christian artist. Uh, he uh, has written uh, lots of uh, songs throughout the years. And these are three uh, albums, I don't know if you can see them, records called Re Resurrection Letters. And he actually produced the one on the, <laughs> part two on the end. That's the one I'm most familiar with. He recently came out with the others. And in one of those uh, songs from the, these uh, records, which I recommend you uh, listen to, especially during this season, he has these words. Hold on to the promise. The stories are true. Jesus makes all things new. Hold on to the promise. The stories are true. Jesus makes all things new. So you can see that's where I, I get the inspiration for the title this morning. The stories of scripture are true. The stories of scripture are true. And that needs to be my attitude as I enter in one more time into meditating on the Easter season. Believing the gospel events are true makes living in the hope of God's promises today far more possible. Because here's the problem. If I just consider the Bible as a morality play, as something that teaches me lessons about how to live life, that type of thing, and I don't necessarily care about whether it actually happened, why would I expect that it would happen today, right? Not just miracles, but everything, heart change, all sorts of stuff, but particularly the resurrection, right? Our escape and salvation from eternal death. If I don't believe that the Bible is historical, that the Bible is, is talking about real events that actually happened, why in the world would I believe that they could actually happen in the here and now or in the future? I really need to believe, especially during the Easter season, that the gospel events are true. Or I'm never really gonna be living the gospel events in the way that God expects me to in the here and now and in the future. So there are different places, uh, specifically in the New Testament, where that effort is made to, to uh, establish the veracity of the story that's being told. Uh, Luke begins his gospel and says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, a story, of the things that have been accomplished among us, uh, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word we have delivered, uh, the word have delivered them to us. So he's essentially saying that this stuff is not made up, right? He's, he's telling a story, he's beginning, beginning a story, but he's, he's, he's also kind of talking to us like a reporter would, a journalist. He's saying, look, a bunch of people have been passing this story, this true story along, and now I'm kind of picking up on that. He goes on and says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past of the, these events that have happened, to write an orderly 
an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So that's the foundation of Luke here as a storyteller. And by the way, Luke is also attributed as, as the guy who wrote the book of Acts, who we were looking at earlier. He cared very much that, that the people reading his story knew that the stories he was, he was telling them were true. Peter makes a similar sentiment here. He says in, in one of his letters, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In that culture, like today, fictional story was all over the place. Roman, Greek mythologies, right? And, and those mythologies were practiced by many people in the, in the pagan world, in the, in the world, but <laughs> they weren't true. They were mythologies. And so maybe the assumption was that this was just one more mythology. But Peter says, no, this wasn't some cleverly devised myth. We were eyewitnesses. And he says, we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The hope of the promise. Why would I have hope in something that's not actually gonna happen? <laughs> because it didn't happen back then, right? That's what Peter says. This stuff is true. You're not gonna have hope unless you believe this stuff is true. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. So my attitude towards the scriptures, towards the gospel story, towards the Easter story, is very important. <laughs> How do I look at the gospel story? Is it just a story of morality? Is it just a story of behavior? Or is it something that actually happened? Of first importance. This Paul who appeared before Agrippa had an attitude that shaped his entire life. He said, I deliver to you as of first importance what also I received, right? Similar to the way Paul, Luke was talking. He's saying what was given to me, I'm passing on. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, right? These basic historical events, as you probably heard, his story, <laughs> history, these basic events are of first importance. And that Christ appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12. So he's talking about his resurrected state. These guys were eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive. So he's kind of making a legal argument. We have witnesses, although some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, <laughs> he appeared also to me, Paul being very humble. He says in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, if this story is not true, in other words, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ in whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised, <laughs> right? If this, if this story is just a, a good story, 
then what's our faith about? If Christ has not been raised, your life is futile and you're still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Elsewhere, he says in this chapter, he says, if this resurrection thing didn't actually happen, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Meaning if I do not have a life that's filled with purpose and a future hope, then how am I gonna live, right? I'm just gonna live for myself. I'm just gonna live for what is around me. I'm not gonna live for something greater. However, he says, in fact, in truth, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Aaron talked about sacrifice today, this time of Lent, this time of expectation, where we consider what it means to live in sacrifice. If you follow the, the sermon series previous to this, one of the foundations is that life is relationship and a relationship doesn't happen in the right way without sacrifice. That's what love is. Love is sacrifice. But why should I give my life to God, to others, unless the stories are true? And and Paul says this in Philippians. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may may gain Christ and be found in him. We talk about repentance, which Aaron mentioned. What is repentance? Repentance, repentance is changing. It's, it's turning from what you were doing to something else in a very dramatic way. I don't know that we have a better or more dramatic representation of repentance than a guy like the Apostle Paul. He was absolutely against the story of the resurrection. He was hunting people down who were declaring it. But then he met Jesus. He was a witness to Jesus. And Jesus' story suddenly became his story, and that changed everything. That I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So the hope of the Jewish promise, the hope of the Jewish story, which the Jews hopefully believed were true, suddenly showed up in the story of Jesus and then showed up in the story of Paul. And Paul's life was changed such that he lived a life of sacrifice, such that he said stuff like, I'm gonna appeal to Caesar because he knew that would advance the cause of Christ in, 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 in declaring the gospel to the entire world, but to the sacrifice of Paul's own life. <laughs> he, set, he set things up knowing that probably going to Rome was gonna be the end. He sacrificed his life. Why would any of us do that, right? Not so much necessarily in this big dramatic way that we see Paul, although that's available, right? But love is sacrifice. Why should I be the parent that that God has called me to be? Why should I be the friend, the spouse, the coworker? Why should I share with anyone that there is genuine hope in this suffering world if I don't believe that the stories are true? If I don't believe they actually happened, what bearing does it have on the reality of my life today or anyone else I speak to? We are called, all of us, to be storytellers. This is the beginning of Acts, 
Jesus has risen from the dead. He spent time with his disciples. He's about to go back to heaven. Sorry. His disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning, they were Jews and they were given the hope of this promise, this coming kingdom. They, they had met the deliverer. They heard about the kingdom was gonna come. Jesus shows up and they said, all right, are you gonna do that? And part of that was like, are you gonna kick the Romans out so that Israel can be great again? And what does he say? He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. So this was the call to be storytellers, to be witnesses to God's story and to their story, right? That Paul would later take on and go to Rome with. He was called to be a witness, a storyteller. F.F. Bruce is a scholar and he speaks about this passage. And he says, the kingdom of God which they were commissioned to proclaim was the good news of God's grace in Christ, not the, the physical kingdom at that time. They devoted themselves in the proclamation and service of God's spiritual kingdom. They were looking for a physical kingdom. Jesus said, I want you to focus on the spiritual kingdom, which men and women enter by repentance and faith, and in which Chief honor belongs to those who most faithfully followed their Lord in the path of obedience, service, and suffering. Jesus' followers were anointed and enabled to carry on the work of witness bearing, of storytelling, right? Not just stories that were fictional and inspiring and moral, but stories that were true. So is the Bible story true? Again, I've been Christian a long time, but I live my life in such a way often that I don't act that way. <laughs> Do I really believe this stuff is true? Do I really have a hope that is grounded in reality? Does it show up in my thoughts? Does it show up in my character? Does it show up in the way that I speak about to others about Jesus? Can they really tell <laughs> that I'm speaking truthfully? Is his story my story? This is a hymn. It says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. Guys like Paul, Peter, Stephen, they put themselves at great risk. <laughs> they turned from a life of whatever they were doing to a life that was drastically revolutionary, not only to themselves, but to everyone around them. Why? <laughs> if they didn't believe that Jesus was alive, if they didn't believe that he died for their sins, if they didn't believe that there was actual hope beyond greeting card hope, or the hope of, a, of a, a nice, tender morality play. They believed that this was real and that their future hope was real. So, as we look at the Easter season, we're gonna be telling a lot of stories. The story of Easter, the story of Christ on his way to the cross, 
and what that means. Hold on to the promise. The stories are true. Jesus makes all things new. That's the attitude I want to have in the coming weeks. That's the attitude I want to renew in my heart as we go along. Not just through the time of Easter, but beyond. What are we doing if we don't believe this stuff's true? Is it historically true 2,000 years ago? Is it true today? Is it true in my heart? Is it true in my actions? And will it be true in the future? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you, you meet us where we are <laughs> and that the, some of the things that we take so for granted in life, including hearing a good story, <laughs> was created by you. You created all things and certainly you recreated the, the story and the power of storytelling. And Lord, I thank you so much for your scriptures and the the, the power of the biblical story through the Old Testament to the New Testament from the beginning to the end, we can enter into your story in a truthful way. We can engage, it, engage the story with our true hearts. We can identify with both the evil and the good in the story. And we can cling to the Savior of the story because we know he is alive even today. So Lord, I ask for just a transformation and a guidance on all of our hearts, whether we've been Christian a few weeks, we've never been Christian, or we've been Christian all of our lives, that you will touch us in a new way with the power of the Easter story. And you will give us a, a renewed sense of why that means something in the here and now as we live our own lives and as we share the love of Christ with others. I pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let me close with 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven. For you. Let's live in the heart of that hope, believing that it's true. Amen. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.